0: Welcome everybody, it's good to see you this weekend, and uh, welcome everybody watching online, it's good to see you guys too, thanks for joining us. Uh, A little bit ago we talked about uh, this discovery group, and uh, if you haven't done discovery yet, please put that on your list. Uh, COVID is... Uh, turned a lot of our rhythms upside down. And so some of us are connecting or reconnecting or you're newer to the family of grace or maybe you've been watching online for a while and connected that way and are thinking about coming in in person. And discovery helps with all of that. And uh, I promise you that if you take the time to go through that you'll find it valuable you'll be connected with uh, some other folks and some other pastors and you'll kind of feel on your feet here at grace by the end of it so it's a high priority really really valuable good investment and uh, and encourage you to do that and uh, and to sign up for that you can do that on the app now if uh, if you want to do that or later on the website and then I want to remind you also that We're opening this 1145 service on Sunday mornings at Montrose, and all of that is to make room. Folks are coming back and coming doing in-person stuff, so that's wonderful. And uh, we want to make those steps kind of as easy as possible. And we're also pretty committed to staying kind of with distance and spacing a little bit. Here is hopefully uh, we're starting to come out of COVID. And so that's why we're adding those services and adding that space. So opened up kids ministries at the 430 service on Saturday. And then also full children's ministries and a service at 1145, that 430 service uh, service at the Gent row building, we still uh, wanna kinda protect that one. So that's the one that we're most kind of diligent about wearing masks the whole time that we're together, and then we encourage those other times as well. But take advantage of those things and be a part of it. And if you're thinking about uh, kind of uh, stepping out and making those first connections, that's what all those spots are for, and encourage you to do that, so take advantage of it. So lots of fun stuff always going on here, and always great to be together. And we started a new series last week uh, called uh, Wasting Your Life to Save the World. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking... Kind of this hard look at Jesus and his approach to life, right? So if I am a Christian, if you would call yourself a Christian, or a Christ follower, the Bible would say that a a Christian, uh, being a Christian has nothing to do with politics. Zip, it has nothing to do with like a Christian subculture. It has everything to do with mirroring or mimicking Christ. So as a Christian, what I'm saying is I want to act like, talk like, love like, and be motivated like Jesus Christ. And that's actually what that word defines as in the scripture. So a Christian was one who was like Christ, or the literal translation is one who is a little Christ or a reflection of Christ. And so knowing Jesus, knowing his heart and mind and knowing kind of his approach to life is critical for me as being a Christian because that's what I'm signing up to do. So if you are a Christian, uh, that's what you have said you want to do with your life. If you're not a Christian yet, maybe you're exploring spirituality or even wrestling with it a little bit. Uh, this is what you would do. You would sign up and say, I'm going to start following Jesus or being like Jesus. So we started looking at that a little bit, and we started uh, kind of wrestling with this idea of why Jesus came. And we said that Jesus didn't come to change the world, but he came to save the world. And then we talked about that last week. We kind of defined that out. We said that changing the world is, is usually tied to this idea of leveraging myself to set something up so that it works the way that I think it's best. And even if those motivations are positive, that's what we mean by that. I'll give myself or I'll leverage my life so that the world works the way that I think it should work, right? Now, there's upsides and downsides to that. And the biggest downside is it depends on if you're the one who's making the world work the way that you want it to work or if you're the one who the change was done to, right? So it kind of depends on what side of the coin you're on with that. That's not really what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to save the world. And saving the world is rooted in this idea that I will sacrifice myself to give to you what you really need. So I don't really have an agenda except love. I don't really have an outcome except that you have what you need, and I'll give my life so that you have what you need in your life, which is what Jesus did. He laid down his life, he offered it, because you can't kill God, so you can't take his life from him. He had to offer his life, which he says that he did, And then he took it back up again, but he gave himself because the world needed rescued, ransomed, the hope that is in Christ Jesus. So if I'm a Christian, that's what I want to do. That's my calling. That's my mindset. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Then Christianity is rooted more in looking like a servant, looking like nothingness, looking like obedience to God than it is me finding fulfillment or me getting you to behave the way that I want you to behave. In fact, the apostle Paul, or actually the apostle John says it this way. First John chapter three, verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid his life down for us and we ought to lay our lives down, down our lives too. So if we're gonna act like, talk like, think like Christ, it's gonna look like the cross. It's going to look like the crucifixion. It's going to look like me sacrificing myself because I love you, and I want to give you what you need, and what you need is the hope and the love and the truth of Jesus. Then we looked at this verse, too, from the Apostle Paul. He said this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. And offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So I'm imitating God by living a life of love and by offering my life as a sacrifice. And we talked a lot last week about this idea right here that the people around Jesus at the time would say, that's a waste. Jesus, you have power. Jesus, you can create money. Jesus, you can affect political change. Jesus, you have a follower, a fellowship. And Jesus said, you know, uh, I don't consider equality with God something to be used to my own advantage. Well, you can make money. Uh, give, give to Caesar what Caesar's, uh, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. Well, you can, you can affect political change. We'll make you king. I, I don't want to be king. My kingdom is not like an earthly kingdom. It's very, very different. So it wouldn't look anything like your earthly versions of political power. Well, what about your following? So many people follow you. I'm going to teach something that's really, really hard and most of my followers are going to leave me and then they're going to want like, like food and fish and miracles from me and I'm on purpose not going to do it for them and they're going to go and even in his inner circle people in essence looked at Jesus and said that's, you're wasting your life you're wasting the opportunity and Jesus in essence looked at them and said well if what you call waste I call investment What you call waste, I call a ransom. Uh, What you call waste, I call building my kingdom. Uh, What you call waste, I call victory. So if that's your definition of it, then I will waste my life to save the world. And Jesus and the apostles look at Christians specifically and they look and say, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to imitate God... It's gonna look like that. It's gonna like, look like wasting your life, not to change the world, not to get the world to function the way that you want it to function, but it's gonna look like wasting your life in order to save the world, right? So on the website, there's a podcast. There is, uh, all of that's on the app. Encourage you to listen to that conversation. It's an interesting one. And the guy who gave it's very good looking. And so it's it's worth uh, going through that and kind of filling in those details. I want to build off of that a little bit this weekend by double clicking on this verse, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Look at this again. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because his dear children live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. What does it mean, if I'm a Christian, Is gonna waste my life the way that Jesus did, what does it mean to imitate God in everything that I do? How does that play out in our life? And what is God even talking about when he talks about that Idea. Now, let's dig at this for a minute, and then we'll talk about how it shows up and what the ramifications are a little bit, all right? Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, and I can tell you for most of my life growing up, I grew up in some religious circles. I didn't actually know and love and follow Jesus until I was a junior in college, but I grew up in religious circles my whole life. And most of the time when I heard something like this in the Bible, imitate God in everything that you do, most of the time when I heard that, I heard that in the context of behavior. So what the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or the priest was actually saying was, you need to get your act together. Sinner boy, right, you need to do that. And you need to imitate God. There are rules and there are regulations and there are directives in the Bible. And you need to memorize those things. And you need to apply those rules and regulations and directives in the Bible. And the degree that you do that indicates the degree of your love for God and God's acceptance of you. So I grew up with this idea that there is like this moral and ethical and behavioral standard that I need to aspire to, and if I aspire to that, the more I aspire to that, the more God is pleased with me, and the more God can use me, and everything you do was a list and I was supposed to find out what the Bible says, and I was supposed to implement those things, and I was supposed to make that function in the Bible accordingly, and that's what I thought that that meant, right? Now, I would venture to say that most people, especially if you have a religious background, if you don't have a religious background, you probably think of religious people this way. Most people tend to think that way about what god wants from us right and that thinking is pretty normal it's behavioral change is is kind of the idea behind it knock it off get your act together and because that thinking is pretty normal we would look at each other or ourselves and we would categorize our relationship with god based on how we imitate god in everything we do as defined by get your act together, and be a better Christian. So we'll even say that to each other, like, I'm a good Christian, or I need to be a better Christian, or I need to, we'll kind of talk that way. And that causes us to think and to categorize each other in a certain way. And per the category that we place ourselves in is the depth of which we accept what the Bible says to us, right? So let me, let me show you what I mean. So for instance, if I'm thinking I'm gonna imitate God in everything that I do, and that means behavioral modification, many people will say, I wanna be a Christian and I will imitate God in some of the things that I do. Some of the things that I do. And we would think of ourselves as nominal Christians, right? So are you a, are you a Christ follower? Yes, why? Because I'm not a Buddhist, because I'm not Mormon, because I'm not Muslim, I'm a follower of the one true God. Because I used to be Captain F-bomb, and now I have implemented the Christian acceptable alternative word into my vocabulary, right? I don't drink as much as I used to. So I'm a nominal Christian. Do you, do you follow Christ, or imitate God in everything that you do? I imitate Christ in some of the stuff that I do. So I go to church a few times, Uh, if there's a good cause, I'll put some money in the basket, and I'm nicer than I used to be, and I I married a good person, and they kind of straighten me out, and I don't party like I used to, and I'm a nom, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. And because we hear that through behavior, we would say, yeah, I, I changed some of my behavior, right?" Now, we would categorize ourselves that way, and then we could categorize other people that way. So there's nominal Christians, and then there's what I would call committed Christians. And the nominal Christians will look at the committed Christians, and they would tend to think this way. They would tend to think, those people do imitate God in everything that they do. They imitate God in more things that they do than I do. So those committed Christians, these are the church folk. These are the church folk. So they are the average church folk. They give 3% of their tithe and they go to church 1.6 times a month, which was pre-COVID numbers. And so that's them. And they volunteer a little bit. And there's a spectrum. Like down here are the people who kind of do that. Up here, like these people work with the junior high kids. I mean, they're, they're really committed, right? And the committed Christians would look at themselves as committed and then they would look at the nominal Christians as nominal. They're my friends that come every once in a while. Oh, I haven't seen you for a while. Good to see you at church. Pagan. Right? So they would look that way. These are Christmas Easter folks. And then these guys are like, you know, I'm nominal. And these guys are a little bit carried away. And they would tend to think these guys, what they do is they volunteer at church instead of in Little League kind of a thing. And we would kind of categorize ourselves. And so... Imitate God in everything that you do. I imitate God in a couple things. I imitate God in a few things. And then both of those groups would look and say there's some people and they are the elite Christians. They're the Navy Seals of Christianity. And these guys usually are paid professionals. So Pastor Jeff... I mean, he's got degrees, he talks Bible stuff, he never thinks the F-bomb in his head, never. And he never thinks a bad thought, and he doesn't do anything, he's a professional. These guys are missionaries, they're like nuns, they're priests, they're those people, right? And so that's how we would kind of categorize ourselves. These guys do imitate God in everything that you do. I imitate God in a couple things, I imitate God in more things, and these guys... Those are the guys that lay their lives down like Jesus. Those are the guys that are called to follow Jesus. Those are the guys that sacrifice. In fact, we hold those guys to that standard. See, if we found out that Pastor Jeff was Captain F-bomb at home, we'd be really upset with him because we expect something different from him. And if we found out that he was just using us for our money, we, we quit going to that church because we expect something different from him. We don't expect it from these guys, and we really don't expect it from these guys, but we would all say that we're a Christian. Now, what happens is this. Because we think that way, we then think that the church works that way, the spiritual entity, the church of Jesus Christ. So we think the church is built off the elite Christians, You got to have the right pastor. You got to have the right missionary. You got to have the right worship leader. You got to have those guys in place, and then what happens? The committed Christians will volunteer for those guys, and 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 they got to help those guys. But if those guys aren't there, then the church just falls apart, and then the nominal Christians will show up and listen to those guys once in a while and give a give give fifty bucks at Christmas time. And so we think that the church teeters on these guys. And these guys kinda support the rest of us because somehow they have their act together in a way that we can't or won't or don't have our act together even though we are all Christ followers, see? Now what's fascinating is this. The book of Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter written to a group of people. So the apostle Paul wrote a letter When you look at that book in the Bible, we organized the Bible. God didn't organize the Bible, we organized the Bible. So we gave it books, we gave it chapters, we gave it the verses, we put numbers on that, so that I can look at you and say, turn to Ephesians chapter one, verse three, and we can find that and talk together. Nothing wrong with it, it's just what we did. But because of that, sometimes we read the Bible like it's a textbook instead of what it is, what what Ephesians is anyways, which is a collection, which is a letter. And so we think that thoughts begin and end based on the chapter breaks, but they really don't. So when you look at Ephesians chapter five, where Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore as his dearly loved children, you know, do that in everything that you do, that thought is in the middle of a broader thought. And that broader thought actually starts in Ephesians chapter four. So it would kind of be under a a, a bigger idea. In Ephesians chapter four, verse one, which is the overarching thought of Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two, says this. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul would look and say, be imitators of God in everything that you do, the idea of that is not rooted in behavior where some people are really good at it and some people are kind of okay with it some people are really bad at it, but they're still in. Paul would look and say, no, no, no. That teaching comes in the context not of behavior, but of identity. Your identity has changed and the calling of your life has changed. You're a prisoner for the Lord So live a life of love, not do acts of love. Live a life of love worthy of the calling you have received. You are called, who? Everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ. You didn't used to be called, but now you are called. Your identity has changed. Just like your identity changes when you get married. You go from a single person to a married person. How your identity changes when you have children. You go from not being a parent to a parent. How your identity changes when you shift phases of life. I go from high school to college. Now I'm not in high school. Now I am in college. It's not behavioral. It's identity. It's relational. And Paul says, imitate God in everything you do. Why? Because you're a different person. What kind of person? A called person. Who was called? You were. Who's the you? Everybody who's a follower of Jesus. You mean Pastor Jeff? Yep, he's called. You mean the volunteer and power kids? Yep, they're called. You mean me who just scanned across this on Facebook Live? Yep. If you're a Christ follower, you're called. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus is called to live a life worthy. What's a worthy life? A life like Jesus. What kind of life did Jesus live? Well, his example, what's his example? A life of love and sacrifice in which he laid his life down. A life worthy of your calling is a life that would look like Jesus' life, the life of a servant, the life of nothingness, the life of obedience to the Father, the life of humility, the life of love. See how that works? And if I'm trying to be like Christ, a little Christ, reflecting Christ, a life worthy, then I'm embracing that calling just as Jesus embraced that calling. Now, guys, listen that truth right there has massive ramifications for you and me. Massive ramifications for you and me. Because I'm not being called to be a pastor. That's a different conversation. Not being called to be a missionary. That's a different conversation. Not being called to the elite. I'm not being called to be a volunteer at church and use my gifts for God and the body. That's a different conversation. I'm not being called to not be Mormon or Muslim. I'm a Christian instead. That's a different conversation. I'm being called to live a life worthy, a life that, live, that looks like Jesus's life. Who? You. If you're a Christ follower, it's you. And your calling and my calling is not different at all. And we're to imitate Christ in everything that we do. Right? And what does that mean? And what are the ramifications of that? So let's talk about this for a couple of minutes, okay? What does that mean and what does that look like? It means this. It means that our calling is not about personal fulfillment. It's about God's eternal plan. See, if I'm called to live a life worthy, a life that is, that in which Jesus is my example, and a life in which is servanthood, nothingness, obedience, humility. That means that my life's calling is not about personal fulfillment. It's about God's eternal plan. One of the greatest false teachings in the church today, the old timers called it a heresy, is that God exists for you. But Jesus would say, no, I don't even exist for me. Jesus would say, "I." I didn't consider equality with God something to be used to my own advantage. I laid my life down. You can't take it from me. I'm God. You can't kill God. So I gave my life. My calling, Jesus would say, was not for me. It was for you. And it's part of the eternal plan. And if I am your example, that means that your calling is not about your personal fulfillment. Your calling is about God's plan for you. This is an idea that in our culture we would struggle with greatly because we have been taught that if something is hard or something is painful or something is difficult, it can't be from God. That God only wants my happiness... And he only wants my healthy my health, and he only wants me to be the best me that I can be. But when you look at Jesus, that was not true of his life. And the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter five, specifically says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because yours dear your children live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ who offered himself as a sacrifice. Jesus did not live a life full of happiness. He did not live a life of personal fulfillment. He did not live a life of health and wealth and prosperity. And God did not look at his own son and said, I tell you what, go do what you want to do and I'll make it happen for you, big guy. Even though Jesus was worthy of all that, He didn't take hold of it. He was obedient to the will of the Father. And that will looked like sacrifice. So my calling from God is not something that just means that I'm going to somehow magically find the secret verse in the Bible that God's gonna use in my life to unleash my inner potential. You'll hear that stuff on TV all day long and it's a lie every time. My calling from God is that I will find the heart and the mind of God and yield to it just like Jesus did. And it may have joy, and it is fulfilling, but it doesn't mean that it's painless, and it doesn't mean it's what I would choose, but it does mean that it's always within God's plan. Now, because of that, this truth also plays out. Your calling is a current reality, not a future event. Your calling is a current reality, not a future event. Sometimes we have this idea that my calling in life, especially if you're younger, you think this way, like that my calling in life is something that I, I, I'm, I'm going to run into And one day when I'm out of college, or one day when I get married, or one day when something happens to me, I'm going to discover my calling, and then I'm really going to unleash my life for God. In fact, I'm really, really nervous that if I make a wrong decision or take a wrong path, I'll miss that calling, and then who knows what kind of mess I'll get myself into. And what I would do is I would stop and say, wait a minute, God has you where he has you because he wants you where he has you. It's a great tattoo. God has you where he has you because he wants you where he has you, right? Your calling is a current reality. It's not a future event. Whether it's work or school or a sports team or being a homemaker, it doesn't matter. The reason God placed you and equipped you to function in the roles that he did is because he desires that that sector of our world be reached with the love and the truth of Christ think about it this way. As a church, we'll talk kind of corporately sometimes about where we believe that the gospel is not clear and it's not easily accessible. So we need to work or give or sacrifice to take the gospel to that place. We go to Chad, Africa, poorest and one of the most violent countries on the face of the earth. And we'll go there. We have churches there. We got a couple hundred church planners we work with. And we're like, hey guys, the gospel is not clear. It's not easily accessible. Let's put effort in to move people to that place so that we can take the gospel there. We do that with Haiti. It's difficult to pro- proclaim the gospel in Haiti. Let's move and put effort in and get people in Haiti. We do that in Mazalon, Mexico. Hey guys, the gospel's not easily uh, clear or easily accessible there. Let's move people. Let's move resources. Let's do that to the inner city. Let's do that to the east side of Akron. We'll plant a campus there. We would think that all the time. God, read Thinks that about your life. Because your calling isn't about your fulfillment. It's about his eternal plan. So God creates you. And moves his resources in such a way. That he can place you in a place. Where the gospel is not clear and easily accessible. Do you know where the gospel is not clear or easily accessible? You know it's not easily accessible or clear in the IT world. I'm going to teach you and wire you in such a way that That IT world makes sense to you, and then I'm gonna give you a job in that IT world because I want to reach the people there. Some of us are afraid of a computer, and so we're in another world. You know why you do construction? Because I wired you. The reason you can see things in your mind before you build them with your hands, but you can make that process work, and a whole bunch of people on planet Earth can't do that. That's why they pay you to do it. Why would God create you that way? Because he loves the people in the world of construction. So he wired you and created you to make sense there. Do you know why you're a teacher? Do you know why you're a lawyer? Do you know why you're in medicine? Do you know why you're good at doing things that other people aren't good at doing? Because God loves the people in that sector of society. Do you know why you made varsity? You didn't make varsity because you're a great athlete and you get all the girls on varsity. God made you an athlete. Some people, you throw a ball at them, it'll hurt them. Why doesn't it do that with you? Why can you move your body and perform in ways without even thinking about it? almost like it's a god-given instinct because god loves the people on your team how come you can't catch a ball if your life depended on it but you can create music in your mind and nobody can do that why would god wire you and create you that way so you can be rich so you can be famous so you can get youtube hits or is it because god loves people who are musicians so he created you and called you to be in that world to reach them He's thinking strategically. And your life and your wiring is a part of that. And it's not something that's going to happen one day, it's the world you're in right now. Jeff, I'm a stay-at-home parent. Well, I'm sorry, you got the hardest job of everybody then. You're not changing diapers and shoving Cheerios in front of a human being. You're called to that place right now to make Jesus make sense to that person. See, all of us, we're all that way. And it's not out there sometime in the future. It's the reality of who we are right now. It's your assignment. So imitate God in everything that you do. It also means this. It means your life calling is defined, it's not discovered. Your life calling is defined, it's not discovered. This is a, this is a tough one, because this really goes against all of our Disney dreams. <laughs> that you, you know, you have wishes, and you can be whoever you wanna be, which is not true, Disney lies. Right, But we don't like this, especially as North Americans, because we we have such an innate sense of freedom, which has a whole bunch of positive things, but doesn't necessarily always line up with scripture. So the idea that my calling is defined, it's not discovered, is a tough one for me. But it's an important one for me. Look at this again, Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this earlier. Look at how Paul defines this identity shift. You went from being who you were being to being a prisoner for the Lord. Never see that on a t-shirt. Never see the guy on TV talking about that one. Discover your best you. You're a prisoner for God. A slave to righteousness. Never preaches. But Paul would say, that's your identity... You're purchased at a price. You, you, you belong to God. Jesus, hear me, took this mindset. That's why he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own benefit. He did not lessen his deity. He did not set aside his deity. He did obey his father even to death on the cross. He allowed his will to be subject, so to say, to the Father's will. Because that's who he was. His calling was defined. It wasn't discovered. Jesus wasn't walking through life, building houses one day, and he was like, you know, I had a moment with God. I think I'm the Messiah, the promised land of God, who's going to give his life for the ransom of many. He didn't run into that. That assignment was given to him by God. The Apostle Paul says, actually, we're made for this stuff, Ephesians chapter 2. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, why? Why would God define our calling? Why would he create us in, in such a way, wire us to do good works in advance for us to, why would he do that? Because, I don't know how you are, but I know how I am, if I'm looking at callings, and I get to make a choice about callings, I'm going to choose the one that I like. Nobody ever, like, signs up for the cancer card. Nobody ever signs up for the dysfunctional childhood card. Nobody signs up for the, uh, my boss is a jerk calling. I'm not going to choose that. I don't want those things in my life. But if I'm the one who always chooses my calling, there's whole segments of the world that will never know the truth of Jesus. Not a lot of people sign up to move to Chad Africa. There's not a waiting list for full-time missionaries in Haiti. It's tough. It's hard. But God loves. Jesus wasn't real thrilled about the cross. He endured it for the joy set before him. He understood the plan. But the night before, he was praying to his father, saying, is there any other way we can do this? No? All right, not my will but yours be done. He wasn't all excited about it, but it was defined for him. I'm going to imitate God in everything I do by following the example of Christ, who drew a really tough assignment, but with determination and grit and passion and love, embraced it, fulfilled it, and even completed it. guys this whole idea of calling it's rooted in this idea that you're called to follow we don't talk about this enough I need to talk about this more but being a Christ follower I I think it's hard for us sometimes to remember that in the basis of my relationship with Christ I'm not called to lead I'm called to follow Christ followers are primarily followers We're not leaders. We don't tell God what to do and he joins us. God directs our paths and we join him. So I'm called to follow what God has called me to do. Diana Diana Patterson said this. She said, your calling's not settled. It's not something you get to check off a list and move on from. I'm always pursuing Christ. That's why your calling is a current reality, not a future discovery. It doesn't mean that my life will change. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in a miserable job forever. It doesn't mean that your life is always gonna be, it doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. What it means is, is that God has a path and God has a plan. And as a Christ follower, I don't reach my full potential. Well, Jeff, that's a waste if you don't reach your full potential. I don't live my own truth. Well, Jeff, that's a waste if you don't live your own truth. I don't live life for me. Well, Jeff, that's a waste if you don't live life for you. Well, then if that's a waste, then like Christ, we're called to waste our lives. That's how you're going to define it. Then we waste our lives to save the world. I have a friend, he's a mailman. As he walks his route, he prays for every family that he delivers the mail to. He raised five children that aren't his own and he and his wife gave their lives to them. He wasted his life being a mailman. One of my best friends is a farmer farms, runs two Bible studies, disciples all kinds of guys. When he's bringing in the corn or the soybeans, wherever he planted that year, he'll bring somebody to the combine with him and talk to them and invest in their lives because you can't get out of a combine when it's running, apparently. He and his wife disciple all kinds of people. They waste their lives being farmers. I got a friend that's a CEO of a publicly traded company. Flies all over the world, the plants, got plants in China, got plants all over the place. One of his big vision statements is that we discover faith in God's design for us. He teaches that to hundreds of people who work for him. He'll fly home on a red eye from China, get off the plane, drive right down here and lead a junior high discipleship group. He wastes his life being a CEO. I got a friend. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's got a puppy and babies. She's wiping poo all day long. Shoving Cheerios in front of children, cleaning the house, keeping up with them. Done a lot of homeschooling this year with COVID. She wastes her life being a mom. See how it works? They're called. Not just the elite not the professionals. All of us. We're called to waste our life. We're called to lay ourselves down. We're called to servanthood. We're called to obedience. And God uses that. He speaks through us as if we were making appeal on his behalf to draw people back to God to be reconcilers and if you are a Christ follower that's you in everything you do imitate God waste your life and he'll use it save the world Jesus would you help us with this In these still moments, would you press into our hearts, God? God, as we look at our vocations, we look at our positions in life, would you let us see the people that you placed around us? The people that you've called us to love, the people that you've given us the opportunity, the people that you loved, and that's why you put them in our lives. And God, for all of us, don't let us excuse our way or talk our way that these... This calling is for others and not us. But God, let us see and embrace the depth of what you want to do in and even through our lives. God, if you're willing to do it, why wouldn't we do it? If you're our example, why would we ever think we're above what you gave to us? Draw us close, close to your heart. Press into us even now.